You're listening to the Sewing and Growing podcast and radio show with J and J. I got a thumbs up from the man across from the table. That means we're starting this podcast. And I wonder if any of you know, because I don't really know, how did we get on the thumbs up bandwagon? How did that come across as the universal sign of go ahead? Do you have any uh, information on that? You are a man full of facts. Where did the thumbs up come from? <clears throat> I wish I knew. I, I know that like in old Roman and Greek culture, in the Colosseums, when they were deciding someone's death. This is good. <laughs> they would, you know, he would look to the, I want to say the crowd. Yeah, the crowd would decide if the gladiator was going to be killed or not. And so, you know, it would be a thumbs up or a thumbs down. But here's the thing. For most of us, we have a misinterpretation of which way meant life. Growing up, I thought, if they gave a thumbs up, it meant let him live. But actually, if the crowd gave a thumbs up, it was go ahead, finish him off. Wow. So if the crowd put thumbs down, it was like, don't kill him, let him live. Yeah. There was a movie that kind of slept under slipped under the radar like early 2000s called The Eagle. It was with Channing Tatum. And it was about that kind of stuff. And there's a really moving scene in there where there's a gladiator who is about to be finished off and everybody is chanting, you know, in the movie, I think they're doing the thumbs down, but they're saying, kill him, kill him, kill him. And Channing Tatum is running around. He goes, life, life, choose life. Everybody choose life, choose life. And he's like putting people's hands up, like giving them the thumbs up. He's running around the entire Coliseum because I think it's his friend who's in the, it's a really intense scene. But um, yeah, it's called the Eagle. It was like made in like 2007. Does it get your endorsement? Ooh, that part does. <laughs> so uh, hey. fast forward to about 52 minutes and eight, and, and uh, 38 seconds, and I approve. Chew the hay, spit out the sticks, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah I, actually, I think it's a pretty good movie. This may or may not need to be edited out. <laughs> so you're the one who edits this okay. podcast. Yeah. They'll either accept this or not, or hear this or not, depending <laughs> upon your decision. But my dad taught me the history of flipping somebody the bird. Okay. I don't approve of that, but it was either England or France being the inflictor of the badness. We'll okay. just call it the badness. But what they would do is they would take people's arrow finger, which is the middle finger, yeah. and they chopped it off. So they couldn't. So the ones that arrow. did. So then, yeah. So they couldn't shoot their arrows. Mm. So after the fact, the ones that had their fingers. In retaliation was like, hey, hey, look at here. Look at me. I can shoot an arrow. Mm. That's the history. Sounds like a French somebody thing to do. French thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. Can we yeah, move this podcast in the start. right direction? Yeah. So um, I want to do a kind of a recap of actually what I taught on yesterday at church. Um, I had the privilege of teaching and talked all about worship, um, kind of what it is, what it isn't, and our role to play in the process. Um, and I thought it'd be great to just kind of recap it for those who weren't there or people who want a condensed version. Um, I will not go through everything because we're trying to keep this around 30 minutes, but we'll do our best. Usually, lately, it's been a little loosey-goosey. Actually, I think we were under time last week. I have been doing a good job at keeping it under 30 minutes. Is that a good thing or not? I'm not sure, yeah. but 
I've been keeping it around. Yeah, you have. A lot of times I am not that way. And when we have a guest, we kind of throw the the clock out the window. We actually haven't had our countdown timer for a while because the the power cord to it has mysteriously vanished. So we still have a countdown clock, but it just sits there doing nothing. All right, so let's let's really talk about worship. Um, I'm going to kind of go almost in reverse order from what I taught on yesterday. So before you lay a foundation of what worship is, I think it's important to really understand why it's important to us personally. Um, and we'll talk just a little bit about identity because literally every decision that we make in life is really influenced by who we think we are, what you do, what you pursue. All of that really is defined by what you think you really are. Um, so identity. Um, and I've talked about this briefly in a few other podcasts, I think, in the past. But just wanting to define and kind of separate the religious mindset from the real uh, Christian mindset, or I'll say the worshiper's mindset. Um, so, for instance, you know, you play the guitar. Um, I do. Uh, uh, let's say somebody who is just really into playing the guitar uh you know they identify as a as a guitarist um so they're going to do things that promote the success and the growth of them being a guitar player right um but so they identify as a guitarist but what happens when i take the guitarist away or the guitar away or i tell them hey you're not good enough yet to be on the platform that person could potentially not you but that person hypothetically could could have an identity crisis because they identify with their function. So really a religious mindset would tell you that your function determines your identity. So what you do, what you function as really makes you who you are with a builder, a mechanic, you know, anyone, if I take away their tools and that's their identity, we've just taken away their identity. So that's the big problem with that. The big problem about identifying as a tool for many reasons, you know, other than just the obvious, <laughs> you don't want to be a tool is that religious mindset says that I need to perform very well in order for God to accept me, see me as valuable and see me as useful. Um, but the problem with that is that if a tool gets broken, if a hammer gets broken, what good is a hammer? If it can't hammer, if it can't build, if it can't tear down, it's useless. And what do you do with a broken tool? You, you throw it away. And so by default, that kind of alludes to the fact that mindset alludes to the fact that God will see no need for you if you're not functioning well. Um, so the religious mindset says I do, therefore I am. So function determines identity. The worshiper's mindset is really identity determines function. So I am, therefore I do. So God already proved my worth and my value through Jesus. And I serve him out of that love because I value him too. So you got to understand that just because you do something, that's really not your identity. So you got to figure out who you are. So the, the next logical question would be who, well, who, who am I? Right? Well, we are all priests. Um, and you, you know, it's easy for me as a worship leader to say that, um, but really, when you are born again, you actually become a priest. There's a lot of scripture that backs it up in Second Peter. You know, it says that we're priests in Revelation. It says that we're we're that too. It talks about us being living temples. You do you want to say something? You're smiling at me. I have a thought yeah. that I might throw you off, no, but it's go going to engage it. in conversation. <laughs> Let's go. When you were saying that if we're not useful, 
could get discarded. That's yeah. not the right heart. Yeah. My mind went somewhere and I want your thoughts on it. Yeah. Go for it. Do you know where my mind's going? For the master's use, a vessel? No. No? Okay. I was thinking of John chapter 7? No, 15. Yeah. John 15, about abiding in the vine. And if the yeah. vine... Doesn't bear fruit. It's discarded. Yeah. So... That's but I have a, a thought. Okay, go for it. And I can say my thought, and you can discard <laughs> my thought. You can throw okay. it into the fire. My thought is this. That could make people think, well, heck, if I'm not producing, if I'm going to do that, God totally is discarding me. But... Jesus started that section of scripture by identifying you. He started with identity. Right. He said, Come, say it for me. I'm the vine, you're, you're the, branches. the branches. right? Whoever abides in me. Yeah. So he said, hey, this is your identity. Mm -hmm. And the fruit of your identity comes from your identity. So yeah. I think where you're going with it is uh, your function doesn't determine your identity. Right. Your identity determines, determines your, your function. function. So yes. Jesus started off with the identity. Right. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And in that identity, there is right. a produce. Yes. And I think the overarching theme of all of that is that you need to understand that God doesn't see value in you for what you do for him. He sees value in him, in you, because you're his child. And normally our worship... Is going to have to do with our connection to him and who he is to us, yeah. which is the only way that you produce fruit. Right. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right. So your worship would actually be the only guarantee that you're going to be fruitful yeah. in life. There you go. So yeah, that's good. Cause I feel like, you know, people probably had those questions after I taught that. So if you had those questions and you're listening now, hopefully this cleared it up for you. It's as clear as mud. Um, but yeah, the, the biggest thing is to understand because we see that and, you know, and I hate to use the term church hurt, um, because I have opinions on that, but some forms of church hurt really come when leadership sees people as disposable because the only value you give to my team is that you can fill a spot on a Sunday morning. That is a part of value that brings value to my team, but that isn't why you're valuable to me. You're valuable to me because you're, you're a living, breathing human being. You're a child of God. You're my, you're my friend. We have a relationship. So apart, whether you just fill a role on a Sunday morning, even if you don't, you know, sometimes people step down from a team and the communication is completely cut off. And that kind of speaks to the fact that, you know, I was really only talking to you because you were part of my team. So that hurts, but that's what I'm trying to, trying to get around that we need, God sees us this way and we need to see people that way. Your value to me isn't what you can do for me, right? If God calls, sees you as valuable, if God calls you as child, then I'm going to see you the same way. You're, you're not my child, but you're a child of God and therefore you are a value. Yeah. And it's just going back to John 15. Yeah. Hopefully that is the right chapter. I'm right. fairly confident it is John 15. The highest point in all that is it's not your skill set it's your connection yeah yes which really speaks to value in somebody right. it's like hey hey what i want the most out of you is your connection yeah that's like oh you want to be connected to me that's yeah. jesus's main point right um so that's cool sorry if that no, threw you no, totally it, off it did not throw me off so i wanted to ask this question who you are i, I just said you're a priest and we we see scriptures that talk about that um, and we'll look at the Old Testament example of the priesthood. What's really interesting is that we know that the tribe of Levi was the priestly tribe. But before that, there was really never supposed to be a specific tribe. In Exodus, God says the entire nation is going to be priests. And that was really his goal. Everyone was to be a priest. And what the, the function of a priest was to set up the meeting place, 
to bless the people, to connect with God. Um, that, that That's kind of loose terminology. Um, if you want the exact definitions, you'll have to listen to Sunday's podcast. Um, but what was interesting is that when Moses went up on the mountain, they made a golden calf. And this is where everything went crazy. So um, God was like, okay, you guys are no longer going to be priests. And what what Moses actually said when he came down, he said, if there's anybody who feels connected or called by the Lord, come. And the only people that came was the tribe of Levi. So they were the tribe that were ended up, ended up being the priests. That makes me think of what Jesus said. Many are called, but few are yeah. chosen. It's like, yeah. who shows up? There they are. So all the other tribes were like, no, we're good with worshiping the calf or, or we're ashamed or whatever it is. Nobody else stepped up. So they became the priests. Um, but now in New Testament and New Covenant, we are all priests, um, which is an awesome job and it's an awesome responsibility. And so what's a cool thing about being a priest is that you uh, you steward the tabernacle. And the tabernacle really is a fancy Old Testament word, just means meeting place or a tent. But now if we know that we know this through through the new through the new covenant, we are now the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. So we carry so here's the here's the function of a priest to set up meeting places places to carry the ark or carry the presence and to bless the people. So we are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we carry his presence everywhere we go. So that means his power, his authority goes where we go. So wherever we go, there's power and authority and we set up a meeting place. So if I'm the tent of meeting now, if I really am that living, breathing temple, right? We're, we're no longer meeting in houses of stone. We're living temples, we're living houses. So anywhere I go, anybody I talk to, is an opportunity for me to set up a meeting place for them to meet with God. That's awesome. And I bless the people. So I speak destiny. Any word, like as a priest, your job is when you encounter people to speak a word of that, that catalyzes destiny over someone's life. Um, that's really what speaking the truth and love is. And a lot of times we see that as correction, which in it, sometimes it is needed, but it's really speaking the truth of what God says about that person. So you're imparting what the Lord says to them. I've Go got ahead. a few thoughts. Yeah. I'm going to try to engage more during the podcast in this one that you're leading. If that's okay. Yeah. Do it. You can totally reprimand me after this. No, if it's a good bomb and not a good bomb. My first thought was when you were talking about the calf and still going back yeah. to your original point about function and if we lose our function, we lose our purpose in life. I was reading in Acts when I think it was Stephen was going through the whole history, or maybe it was Peter, I can't remember, but they kind of go through the whole history of God's purpose on the earth and what he's done. He talks about how in idolatry, they worshiped the work of their hands. Yeah. So if we have something and it's, I'm a guitarist and that's right. my, and I lose it, and then I demolish to some degree, that's idolatry. idolatry because you're yeah. worshiping. You're so focused on the work of your own hands, what I can yeah. do with my own hands. Yeah. But if it's really connection to God, yeah. then you're never without it. Right. So that's good. Um, that's a good segue um, into the into the next part. So, um, yeah, anything. So you, you the motivation for what you worship, a lot of times we, we understand or we make the mistake of really making worship about us because it's like, well, I don't really like that song. I like this song more than that song. And we categorize praise and worship as a type of music. And really it's not worship is not music at all. Um, it's a vehicle that we use. It's actually an expression of worship. It's awesome. But if, 
if we make if worship is just is just brought down to just a type of music then it's formulated then we we mass produce it and we market it to man and man becomes the judge of whether it's good or not and then we're gods unto ourselves i had another couple things to say about us carrying the presence of God and yeah. creating a meeting place. When I was going through Leviticus, I was amazed at some of the holy items and the oil that literally when this oil would hit things, they would become holy. Yeah. So when we carry that and we carry as priests that we should go into situations, making them holy by our presence yeah. and what we carry. Yeah. And also, I went through the book, Words with God by Addison Bevere. He talked about the history of the word profane. The history of the word profane means outside of the temple. So anything outside of the temple is profane. But if we are the temple, then there really isn't profanity in the way of this is outside of the temple. So that's secular. Addison's really big on breaking down and teaching this truth that as Christians, as saints, there is no segregation between secular and sacred because we carry that wherever we go. Man, if we carried an awareness and an appreciation that we're priests and we create meeting places between people and God, we would make whole things that we never thought God's presence could go into holy, which is really cool. Yeah, that's good. Carry on. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm just kind of bouncing around here with just that the ideas that are in my head. Um so we just talked about that worship is not music, but music is an expression. So this is a cool thing because we are triune beings. We are to worship God. We're even instructed to worship him with our heart, our our soul, our strength. Oh, I'm missing one. Anyways. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Yeah. So that's basically spirit, soul, and body. So we're triune beings. And I think real, genuine, authentic worship is a triune being worshiping out of all three parts a God that is also triune. So I think music is a really good help for this because I think music affects all three parts of us. Um, you've ever been like deeply moved by an arrangement of music. You, you start crying. It moves your soul. Um, and it's really like music, I think, is an antenna of the soul. And, you know, if you've ever watched a movie without the sound on, you realize how much music plays an important role. Just imagine watching Jaws without the music. And that's the crazy thing about this is it's two notes. E and F just going back and forth yet it, it but it causes so much tension and it, it almost produces a flight or f you know, fight or flight response in you just two notes. So it really speaks to you. We, we look in the old Testament, um, Saul, he was, he was being tormented by the spirit. And when David would play the heart, it harp, it would, it would leave. <laughs> He's giving me hand signals as I'm saying, as I'm saying it. So it would calm his actual soul and his spirit. Um, so we see in music, just there's this innate desire to move and to clap our hands, to jump, to dance, to sway. So it moves our body, right? Mm. And it's just a great way to connect even more. So when music is involved in the worship process, you get your body involved, you get your mind involved, connects with your spirit. And you got to have all three parts because you could sing a song about how much you love him. But if your heart's not engaged, it's not true worship. If your mind's not engaged, it's not true worship. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? Uh, he said a lot of things to the Pharisees. Well, I'm thinking of the, I think it's a prophecy from Isaiah. He said, Worship you draw with near lips. with me with your lips, but your heart, heart is far from your me. Your heart is far from me. Yeah. Um, so worship really. So let's talk about this. Um, the five love languages, you know, Gary Chapman wrote this book. Um, 
you're right. So you've got, so it, what he realized is that everybody gives and receives love in a different, in a different way. So we've got acts of service. We've got gifts, quality time, words of affirmation and physical touch. Um, so if I try and give my wife love in the way that I receive love and it's not the way she receives love, it's not going to be recognized. It's not going to be appreciated. We're going to have a bad time. We're going to have a difficult time. The good thing about God is that he speaks all five love languages and that he can communicate and, and recognize them to a degree. But have we ever thought that, man, I might be thinking that I'm giving God love in a way that he wants, but he's not recognizing it. And so if you look all throughout the Gospels, especially just in John, he talks about, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Those who keep my commandments, the, the love of the Father is in them. He goes on and on and on about that. And so really, God's love language is obedience. Um, but you have to understand obeying from the right motivation is really important. So we talked about this in previous podcasts, you know, fear-based relationship versus love-based relationship. So if I'm obeying him out of fear and thinking that it's worship, it's not. So that's really important to lay a foundation. And here's the thing, your your level of worship and your level of praise will always be limited to your revelation of who God is. So if you have a very limited understanding of him, your worship is going to be very limited. So that's why it's important to get to understand and know who he is through his word, through his presence, get to understand who he really is and how much he loves you. Then your worship is birthed out of that love. Obedience is birthed out of that love. But it gains momentum though, doesn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Because the more you learn about him, the more you worship, but the more you yeah. worship, you learn yeah. more things about him yes. and it gains momentum. Gains momentum. Then you become a worshiper with yeah. a lifestyle of worship. And this is really cool. So this was in the book too. So he talks about, you know, emotionalism and, and there's a lot of emotions. Go ahead. I don't think you've referenced the book yet. In the oh, podcast. sorry. Yeah, I have not. So the book is called How to Worship a King by Zach Neese. Um, I've mentioned it a lot on this podcast before and it's what I taught on pretty much out of yesterday. Really timely though, because just last week, one of our faithful listeners, Joe D'Elia said, Hey, can you recommend a book on worship oh. for me? And I recommended how this to worship book, a King man, by Zach Neese. I read through it a lot. I, I think I've only read it front to back once, but I pick it up all the time and it brings me to tears sometimes, man. It, it's like the best book I've ever read other than the Bible. Um, so in this book, he talks about how there's a lot of emotions that are involved in worship. There's some good ones. There's some bad ones. Um, sometimes we can use worship as a form of escape and we just get lost in it, which is okay, but it needs to come back to this point of obedience. And I like what he said. He said that the true emotions of the heart are the ones that inform lordship. So he said, you're going to obey what's Lord. So if your flesh is Lord, you'll, you'll obey it. If Jesus is Lord, then the emotions in your, in your heart will prove true by obedience. So I really, I really like that. So if your emotions aren't, aren't leading to obedience, probably not the best emotions to have. And so sometimes I'm thinking like, you know, if you're in a worship setting and you feel inclined to maybe bow down, but you don't, you've just informed who's Lord. Is, is your flesh. So it's just, just food for thought. It was making yeah. me think of some of our joyous services yeah. that if us running around the room doesn't lead us to obedience, yeah. then maybe it was fun it was in the moment, of the flesh. Yeah. but did it really have its spring from the spirit? 
Because right. if it was from the spirit, if it was the highest level of emotion, it would have produced later on the yes. fruit of obedience. Yes, it would have. So worship and praise. Um, so worship, you know, there's actually a, one Greek word that's used the most for worship. It's the Greek word proskuno, proskunio. I butchered that. But anyways, um, and there's really three facets of it. Um, the, the most literal definition is to just adore to show that that so adored is just really deep love and intimacy and, and respect. Um, but then you get the word prostrate from that word proscunio, which means to lay flat on your face before a deity, which would we, would we, would be God. Um, and then you have, what's the third aspect of it? I'm trying to think. Um, it's probably somewhere in my notes. Um, so we've got adore. We've got to lay flat. Oh, and to kiss your hand towards someone, which we could just say in basic English is to blow kisses. So we have a problem with that in Western mindsets, especially like Western slope, blue collar men, like thinking about blowing kisses to Jesus. Might be easier for the ladies than it is for the men. Yeah, it probably is. But there's really some physical attributes of this, of this worship idea. And I don't want you to get too legalistic. Like if you're not bowing in worship doesn't mean that you're not worshiping. There are times if you feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to bow, then you should. But really, a lot of it's, I think, it, it really a posture of our own heart. And man, who's really Lord in there? Can I yield to what he's saying? Go ahead. You said that God's highest love language is obedience. Yeah. Yeah. Should we expect God to be speaking to us? I know worship isn't yeah. limited to the 45 minutes on Sunday morning where we right. sing songs, but shouldn't we expect him to speak to us on what he wants us to obey even in that worship set? Yes, yes. And that's why, I mean, and you can't judge anybody, but I know for me, the times when we're like in a joy meeting and I run, it's literally because I've been prompted. The Lord tells me, you need to run right now. So he's testing obedience. And that's really awesome because I feel like... Um, He's putting obedience to the test in a really great environment. And I'll and say if you this. you can't obey him there, man, it's going to be very hard to obey him out in the world. So Go good. Ahead. Him tugging on my heart doesn't have to be connected to my desire to do the thing he's asking right. me to do. As a child, the things my parents asked me to do in obedience, rarely, less than 10%, did I have the connected emotion right. to do what they asked right. me to do. Rarely ever did I have the desire to take out the trash when they asked me to be obedient to the yeah. rule to take out the trash. So, so many of us in the worship set, in the time of worship at church, I know it's not limited to that, but feel the urge to do the thing that God's asking us to do. Right. But that's not dependent. No, no. Um, so here's, a, here's a, a good example. So last year I took my daughter to the daddy-daughter dance at Grand Mesa Elementary. We had a blast. You know, we got all dressed up in our finest clothes and we took pictures. We, we pretty much tore it up out there. But I hate dancing. So, like, that is not my thing. So I didn't go to the dance because I love dancing. I went to the dance because I love my daughter. Boom. Um, and so Jesus is really the same way. So Jesus doesn't come to church because he just loves church. I, I know he does, but he comes because he loves you. Um, you know, he's not in your prayer closet cause he likes being in a cramped space. He's in there cause he loves you. He didn't go to the cross cause he loves the cross. He went to the cross because he loves you. So what's our motivation when we come to church? Is it to hear good music? Is it to hear a message that makes us feel good? Is it for community? Those are fine. And it's good. You should come to church for an aspect of community. But if the main reason for going isn't your love for Jesus, 
then again, you're becoming a God unto yourself because you're trying to tailor, tailor your experience to what you want. And really when your motivation is Jesus, all the other things don't matter because I can find Jesus in the worship. I can find Jesus in the teaching. I can find Jesus in the community and he helps you avoid offense because if the pastor says something you maybe don't necessarily agree with, that's okay because I'm there for Jesus and he'll help me receive from all aspects of the worship service. So motivation is so important. Why, why do I even get in the word? Is it because I love the Lord? Why do I pray? A lot of times it's, well, I need, I need to get something from him. And here's the thing, you know, worship is for God and not for man. Um, and yesterday I, I, I talked about this and I gave a lot of specifics and I don't want people to overanalyze and get legalistic. So sometimes we talk about, okay, so like praise, praise is, is gratitude and thankfulness. Worship is adoration. And so it's like legalism. So there's a thing, you know, spirit of the law and the letter of the law. Um, Paul talks about it in Second Corinthians. He talks about how the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. There's a lot more deeper meaning, but we've pulled a phrase out of that that we use all the time, spirit versus letter. So letter of the law refers to the literal and precise wording of a, of a legal document, and it focuses on the specific language used in that law, and it interprets it exactly as it's written. Spirit of the law refers to the broader purpose, the intent, and the principles underlying a legal rule or the law, and it emphasizes the understanding and the reason why it was created. So interpreting the spirit of the law allows for flexibility as long as the adaptation maintains the original intent. Mm. So spirit of the, or letter of the law would say this, praise is gratitude, worship is adoration. There's no mixing of the two. A song must only have words that talk about him. Otherwise it's about us. And we just learned that worship is for God and it's not for man. So if I sing, look what the Lord has done one more time, I'm in sin. That's really binding. And I do not think the Lord meant it that way. And a really great, a really great um, explanation of this is Colossians 3.16, right? Admonish each other in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual Psalms. Psalms obviously written in the Old Testament, uh, 150 of them. There's actually even more. There's some in Zephaniah. There's things like that. But really a psalm is written from three perspectives. God, a man to God, God to man, not that God worships man, but you find that in Zephaniah chapter seven, it says that the Lord sings over his people and then man to man. So it's encouraging one another. You can find all three of those examples in the Old Testament Psalms. Hymns are congregational where we are together speaking of the goodness of God, right? I think of how great is our God or something, something along that. And it's meant to encourage, right? And then we got spiritual songs. That's a little bit harder to unpack, but that word spiritual songs in the Greek means God breathed or of the spirit. So it's a song that's of the spirit in the moment. So that means it's not preconceived. We, we would call that spontaneous worship. And so he's telling the church this, yes, the vertical worship is needed, but also you all should be encouraging each other in these three different formats. Yeah. So really it's not as rigid as we think. And what, what I think is like when worship starts becoming about you and not God is when I enter into the worship setting with an agenda to get something from him, thinking I can copy a formula. So if I raise my hands on the fast songs, if I bow on the low songs, if I stay in worship for this amount of time, then God will give me what I'm, what I'm wanting. That's what makes it about us. And I was just thinking about what you were saying concerning the difference between the spirit and the letter of the law. And anytime you don't have a good relationship with somebody, you're going to fall back on the letter of the law. Yeah. Have you ever been around somebody who doesn't know the person that you know as well? And then they go to you and they said, hey, they said to do this. And you go, 
I know they said to do that, but what they really want in this scenario is this, because I know them. Trust me. Let's do this. Yeah, but they said this. Yes, but I'm related to them. I know them. Under this circumstance, we're not going to do this. So anytime you spend time and you commune with somebody, you're going to know to a deeper level how to follow the spirit of the thing, not just the letter. Absolutely. Um, We're running out of time here. I'm trying to think if there's maybe anything else kind of important that I might want to talk about. Um, So I'll just briefly touch on praise. So worship and praise, a lot of times they're used interchangeably. They are different, but they're not exclusive of of one another. So really worship is an, it's, it's the expression of love in God's way, God's way. And so we know that we, if to worship there, there must be an expression. So you're, you're motivated to worship God, um, and, and honor him. And one of those ways of doing it, one of those expressions of worship is praise. So praise is really defined as, um, admiration. We praise a lot of things in lives. We praise our pets. We praise sports teams. We praise other people. Um, and we, and we also praise God. He's not really deserving of praise, but he does, or sorry, whoa, whoa, whoa back up. He doesn't need our praise. He is deserving of praise. He does a lot of things that are amazing and we should acknowledge those and we acknowledge them through praise. And it's the only way that we come into the presence of God, right? Enter his courts, enter the gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That's um, Psalms 100 verse four. What's cool about that is Psalm 100 verse four contains all of the major words for praise in the Hebrew. There's four main words and I'll just read it real quick because I don't know all of them off the top of my head. So it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. That word thanksgiving is the Hebrew word praise, tada, and into his courts with praise. It's the Hebrew word tehila. Be thankful, yada, unto him and bless Barak, his name. All of those are physical actions or something you got to do with your voice. So tada means the extension of the hand. Um, uh, yada is, again, extension of the hand, to throw out the hand, to worship with extended hands. Tehila means to sing. It's from the, Greek, from the Hebrew word halal, which means to boast or to rave, or to celebrate, or be clamorously foolish. And Barak means to kneel, to bless God as an act of adoration. So worship and praise, really when, you, when you're just like, I'm doing that in my heart, eh, there has to be an outward expression that manifests. Yeah. Um, but again, I don't want you to be like legalistic about it. And this is where it's, it's kind of hard. Um, and you really need to have an understanding of spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. Cause you can hear all of this and then get into the worship setting and analyze. But I feel like it can be really freeing because sometimes maybe people are bound by a religious mindset and they feel certain things on the inside of them when they want to worship, but they're like, no, I shouldn't do that. Or I don't think that's right. Just be obedient. Would you say, as somebody who leads us in worship, that the average congregant has the problem of being too expressive or not no, expressive not, enough? Not expressive enough. So you might want to just go do something wild. Just right. And I'm yeah. not saying be raucous, but there's times where I do things for my wife, and she's like, "Whoa, that was too much." But I appreciate your heart that you're trying right. something new. Most people fall into that category, right? right? Yes. Well, and. Yeah, I'd always err on the side of overexpression. Because, like, you think of David, his his first wife, Mike, is it Michelle or Michael? What's her name? Michael. Um, yeah. She called his act of worship undignified. But God said he's a man after his own heart. Think about the, the woman with the alabaster jar. The Pharisees judged her, said it's inappropriate. Yet 
But Jesus said, she demonstrated love towards me. The crazy thing about that story is the woman who comes in, breaks the alabaster jar, cries over the feet of Jesus, anoints his feet, wipes his feet with her tears. It's beautiful. It's the only time in the Gospels that Jesus said someone demonstrated love towards him other than God. Only time. That's crazy. So it's an expression of love. It's a, it's a deep, intimate expression of love. So we don't want to be like a Pharisee judging something that God already says is acceptable, and we say it's not. Let me say something about yeah. both of those situations. Michael criticized David's worship. She became barren. <laughs> yeah. So, Judas yeah. criticized the woman who broke the alabaster jar, and he lost his life. So mm-hmm. the quickest way to either end the production from your life mm-hmm. or to end your life is to judge somebody else's devotion to God. Yeah. Yeah. And on the, on the flip side of that coin too, we, we know that worship is, is in a deep intimate expression. And we already found out that the word proscunio means to, to blow a kiss. Um, and Jesus sees that as a form of love. So if you're in service blowing kisses to God, you're, you're probably missing what I'm saying unless, unless God's telling you to do that. But really just as a kiss is intimate, worship is an intimate thing with the Lord, but you got to understand. So I'll, I'll just give an example here and then we'll be done with my wife. I mean, I have a kiss that I give to my kids, right? And then I have a kiss that's reserved for my wife and they're different because of the depth of intimacy. So the deeper the relationship, the more passionate the expression of love. But also there are things that are reserved for only the bedroom and there are things that are reserved for public. And you need to know the difference because if your worship is detracting from somebody else, it's probably could be compared to doing something that's reserved for the bedroom out in public. All the attention is now on you and it is inappropriate. So you need to understand what's for my private time with Jesus and what's appropriate for a congregational setting. And there's something very unhealthy. If the only time you show affection to your wife or value is in public, I believe that's called intimacy anorexia, that Mm. when you treat somebody in a certain way in public and in private, you could care less, you you shun them, you don't spend any time with them. That causes a lot of problems in relationships. Right. And that's a form of idolatry too, because what you're doing is you're wanting other people to approve and see your devotion, but it's really not there at all. You're just doing it in public, right? And what did he say about people who pray publicly in the streets? They'll have the reward. The reward is just... It's there. You got recognized. Great. But what happens to those who do it in private? They'll be rewarded openly. Openly. Yeah. All right. That's it. We've gone over time. Wisdom of the day? Wisdom of the day. I really liked your statement that worship is a triune person worshiping a triune God. So engage all that you are when you worship him. Yeah. And I like the, the remark. I mean, most of this is out of the book anyways, but the remark he made about true emotions inform lordship and so you understand what's really lord in your heart by what you obey um so when i feel prompted to do or not do something that i feel like the lord's telling me and i don't do it i've just informed that 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 my flesh is lord so and just motivation right the whole dance analogy with my daughter um i went to the dance not because i love to dance but because i love her and when that's your motivation everything in life becomes worship so That's it. Let's pray. (laughs) Father God, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are. 
uh, who you've revealed yourself to be and, and who you continue to reveal yourself to be as we engage with you um, in worship, Father. May not may it not just be a Sunday morning thing, but something that we just engage in each and every day because we're motivated um, by love, Father God. And help us just take inventory of what's on the inside of us, what's of you, what's not of you, what's been made into a false idol and what hasn't, Father God, because we want our worship to just to really only be about you. Um, so I thank you that you're helping us kind of sift out the stuff that doesn't need to be there so we can have pure and refined faith and pure and refined uh, worship. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And you can count on us to be back next week with the Sown and Growing Podcast with Jay and Jay.